Welcome to another episode of the Successful Fashion Freelancer Podcast. I'm your host, Heidi, and here on the show, we talk about true remote freelancing and fashion where you get to work when and where you want with multiple clients. We don't talk about temp job permalancing where you basically look and act like an employee, but you're a freelancer and you don't get any of the benefits of being an employee. Uh, Anyways, true remote freelancing. That is how I built my successful career in fashion for over a decade, earning $100,000. And that was after working as an employee where I got super burnt out. And that was after having my own brand where I realized it was not what I wanted to do because you don't make any money and it's tough AF. And freelancing is where I found true, true happiness working in fashion, getting to do the work that I loved. And here on the show, we share stories from successful fashion freelancers from around the world with varying skill sets that are kicking so much butt so that you can kick butt to getting to work in fashion on your own terms. Today I am chatting with Ashika. Ashika is a lace and lingerie designer. She lives in India and you guys, she's seeing massive success in her freelance career. She has done so many small strategic things that have helped her get to where she is. It is why she has multiple clients. She has a client on retainer that is giving her a good solid base income and then multiple clients that have been approaching her. She is putting herself out there. She's been applying to some stuff on Upwork. She's been doing some cold pitching, but she's had a lot of clients that have come to her. So Ashika talks all about how she's made that happen, what changes she made to her LinkedIn profile, literally the one change that she made to her LinkedIn profile that got multiple brands approaching her within days. Um, what else is she doing? So many good things, so many good things. She talks a lot about some of the confidence struggle that she has, um, has had and is, is still having it's a constant battle. We talk a lot about pricing. Um, she shares her prices openly. We talk about how she's charging a very fair wage that arguably is high for India, um, but she's getting that wage from brands. And I love this conversation because so many people think, well, if I live in India or if I live in another um, you know, lower wage country, how can I charge a higher wage for maybe brands that are in the US or something like that? And it's totally possible. Ashika talks a lot about how she's done that. Um, yeah, so a full transparency, Ashika is a student inside my Freelance Accelerator program and she shares how that program has helped her see more success in her freelance career. If you are interested in becoming a successful fashion freelancer and you want a little bit of support and help kickstarting or growing that, Freelance Accelerator is a great place to start. You can learn more about that program by heading over to soheidi.com slash fast, F-A-S-T. And if you wanna get kickstarted right away, you can check out my best free resources at soheidi.com slash freelance. We'll link both those up in the show notes. Make sure that you subscribe wherever you are listening so you don't miss another episode. And if you appreciate and enjoy the show, I'd be so grateful if you'd take a few seconds to leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. They really do mean so much to um, myself and my team who helped put the show together. We put a lot of effort into it and we appreciate that so much. So enjoy my conversation with Ashika. Thanks so much for listening and here we go. Um, Ashika, welcome to the Successful Fashion Freelancer Podcast. I just told you before we started recording how excited I am to hear everything because you do, I don't know, you just have a really interesting niche in the fashion world. Um, Can you start out by introducing yourself to everybody listening and letting us know who you are and what you do in fashion? 
Okay. Hi, Heidi. It's really nice to be on the podcast after, you know, following it and hearing it for so long. Yeah. So, my name is Ashika. I'm from India originally, but um my niche is lingerie and to be very very specific, lace design for yeah. lingerie. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's that's my niche and um I have just sort of kicked off my freelancing career in that space. Um yeah. Okay. So, so many things that I want to dive into, but let's maybe like start from the beginning. So, mm-hmm. I know you're in New York right now, but do you still live in India? Yes, I still live in India. I still live in India. Yeah. Okay. And you for a long time worked for like factories designing the late like tell us a little so, bit about yeah. Okay, I'll just give you a brief history. So full disclaimer I did go to design school I okay. studied at the London College of Fashion okay but pretty early on like I did start by doing like a general fashion design and development course but I did pretty early on while I was studying realized that there was more value in sort of niching down okay. some gut feeling just told me to sort of niche down so okay. I changed courses like after my first year and i started doing something called contour design which is a very there are only two universities in the world that do it one is lcf and there's another in the uk called the montford and it's sort of more like a product design course where it's very focused on actually making a functional piece of clothing as well as um so it was contour was basically for lingerie um fitted um swimwear anything that's fitted to the contours of your body but mainly okay. lingerie and swimwear So I I sort of real I I don't know some gut feeling told me to niche down then even though everybody was sort of worried and they were like you're narrowing your options you know why are you doing this but I just something just told me to go for it yeah and um that was smart <laughs> I did that I I did that and pretty early on I knew that getting a job in the UK was almost an impossibility for me because of visa reasons uh. so I was that's always a thing so i was sort of mentally prepared so i i made the most of my time there i got internships and um in my final year this company from china sort of came to recruit um us and you know i was in two minds i was like do i want to go to china and my mom was like you know just do the interview see what happens you don't have to take the job yeah. so i just did it and because not many people wanted to apply to china because it's quite a challenging environment to live in um you know they interviewed a few of us they interviewed maybe like 15 people hired six of us and it just happened so fast that um i just went for it and the job was for lace design and i had not really studied lace design in college i hadn't even studied textiles i was very much doing you know regular lingerie and yeah. without experimenting much with textiles so a lot of it i did learn on the job okay. and uh, yeah i just i just went to china and um, that was working for a larger manufacturing company that sort of supplies to brands like victoria secret and galvan klein but that was i mean just a stroke of luck being at the right place at the right time okay but um that's how i got into this whole lease space which is very very niche So like we're talking about literally designing like the repeating pattern of the lace design and is there anything else entailed in it like the picking out the 
the threads so what or like I what do, even the material is. I don't even know. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I've listened to your podcast with um, Sophia Luzon yeah. and uh, with Laurie yeah. and with Katerina Demovska. So yeah. what I do is something at the intersection of those two things. So okay. in many ways, it is like print design because a lot of it is about knowing how a receipt looks visually. Uh-huh. But then a lot of it is about um, sort of, you know, it's a little more detailed than print design because you're not thinking about, you have to think about how the yarns are actually plotted and how they go into a machine. Okay. So there is a technical developer that, that you work with. But my job mainly was, because I was the only person with a lingerie background in that office. Okay. And everybody else there sort of came from a graphics or a textile background. My job was to actually imagine what the lace would look like three-dimensionally. Okay. So... Which is why, you know, like what you say about having a niche is so, so important because if you if you know something or you see things differently to what everyone else does, people do value your skills. And do. you don't even have to compete with anybody else because you're so unique in that very specific skill set. Yeah. So I sort of created the job role for myself in a way because I was there, I was the lace team's. 3D person, so I would design conceptual lingerie for them, okay. like test out the lace, make the lingerie. Um, I also did a bit of sales, but I would pitch because I spoke English, and um, uh, okay, you know, mostly everyone else spoke Mandarin. So um, that's just sort of how I got into it. But that's when I really started liking something as detailed as lace design because it is very, very detailed. You can spend like I was spending like six hours a day just drawing, which was my dream <laughs> job. I can imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So where are we on the timeline? Like, when did you graduate? When did you go to China? What years was this? So I, I graduated in 2017 okay. and I went to China immediately after. I spent a good three years there and then uh, the pandemic broke out. Yeah. So I literally came home for a holiday for a week and I never went back. Oh. So it was quite sudden. And, yeah. You, know, you were in China I think for the pandemic years. Yeah. Okay. So, at what point did you start, did you lose your job then, or were you able to work remote? So, I was able to work remotely for a year, because the company I worked with, they did want to keep me, but then after the year, there was no no way I could go back, because the restrictions were quite um, intense in China, they weren't letting people back in. So, at that point, I took a call to sort of, um, you know, resign um, and I was on very good terms with my boss and everything because, yeah. you know, it was, a, it was a good company to work yeah. with. Yeah. And at that point, mid-pandemic, I sort of decided to, because I didn't know what to do. I didn't, you know, like at that point, I hadn't really come across freelancing as an option, okay. to be very honest. Yeah. So my thought was get a job in India where the pay is not great for yeah. you to work for somebody else. Yeah. Or it was to start my own brand. And so I did the latter because, like, I did it very spontaneously. And, you know, I read about your experience with your brand and how, you know, you have this brand and it was doing well, but you just hated every minute of it. And I could relate to that so much. Yeah. Why because, is that? You know, you, you know and I, I actually even spoke to Laurie and she was really nice. That's what I love about this entire community because I've gotten to meet so many other freelancers who've been yeah. so nice. Yeah. And I spoke to both Laurie and Sophia. and. Yeah. You know, you think when you're a designer, you think your dream is to have your own brand, but no one tells you that having your own brand, a lot of it is actually 
sending out packages and manufacturing stuff. And, you know, especially in the pandemic, where I'm sure like in regular circumstances, it's hard enough. But during the pandemic, I was literally like in India, lockdown was very intense. So, you know, I didn't have any factories or any. I had one tailor who was sort of helping me with the extra orders. And strangely enough, I got loads of orders for because I was doing pajamas and nightwear. But, you know, I was I was just so burnt out and so stressed out and just making everything myself. I didn't even get time to design. Yeah. You know, um, between dealing with suppliers, yeah. manufacturing, doing it all by myself, making my own website. It, I just was really Selling. burnt out and really, really unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I was so, you know, um, conflicted because I wanted to shut it down. And and I was like, does this mean I'm a failure? And then I was, that's when I spoke to Laurie and she was so nice because she told me how she went through the same thing. And she's like, you know, at some point you do take a call if it's not making you happy. Yeah. And that's around the time I, I came across more of your freelance episodes and, um, you know, okay. started watching some of your videos on how to go about freelancing. Yeah. And weirdly at that point, somebody you know, you made that video about niching down. I think it was on YouTube. It wasn't even, this was before I signed up for fast. But um, at that very minute, I changed my, um, you know, like status on LinkedIn to lace and lingerie designer because I was like, let me try this. What was it before? And, um, it was fashion designer. Like, because oh, I kept like making, just real broad. You know. Okay. Really broad because, you know, there weren't many lingerie jobs advertised out there. Yeah, and you know, I thought, okay, I was trying to convince myself that, okay, I've, I, I, I saw it as a shortcoming, the fact that I was so niche. I didn't see it as a strength because all the jobs in India at that point were for fashion designer, okay. not for something as specific as lingerie. So I was like, okay, I have to convince them that I can also do regular clothes, even though my degree is lingerie. This was a very different mindset. And then I came across your video where you said, you know, you have niche down. And I said, you know, I have nothing to lose. Let me try this. And the minute I just did that, somebody approached me on LinkedIn wanting me to design lingerie for them. Just the simple act of changing that keyword. I am like, um, I just made like a surprised looking face, but I'm really not surprised. So, yeah. So that was when I was like, okay, there might be something to this because if somebody's approaching me on LinkedIn to do this, and I was completely unprepared. Like I think most of the people you've interviewed, they started from scratch while I sort of shifted from a job to like setting up my brand and keeping it to now freelancing. Yeah. So I think for me, it was more just changing the approach and the mindset that sort of helped me, you know, get into that headspace because yeah. It's so interesting because you said that like when you were in school, which, you know, we're so young when we're in school and like, I don't know. I mean, I look back at when I was in school, I didn't have a great like view on, not great, but not a very sophisticated view on like life or business or being strategic about my career. And you had this like inkling to niche down and then you almost like went the opposite direction later. You For know, a minute. Yeah. Yeah, I did because, you know, though I have this gut feeling, sometimes when you listen to all the noise around you and, you yeah. know, you, when you apply for jobs, like jobs that are already advertised, it is actually very rare to find something for lingerie, you know, okay. like specifically advertised out there because I don't know why. So I don't know. I started doubting myself and I was like, you know, uh, did I do the wrong thing? Uh, yeah. And then 
I just on a whim just changed his bachelor lingerie, and two people approached me. Actually, one of whom <laughs> is a pretty big lingerie brand. I can't really disclose their name, okay. but just imagine uh, the biggest lingerie brand out there. They approached me for a job. I didn't get it because of visa reasons. But, ah, visa. Okay. Um, I was like, okay, if they found me, you know, sitting in the US, and they found me in India. There must be something to this, yeah. and. Um, that's when I decided I really wanted to, you know, focus and and just, you know, um, focus on my skills, like what I'm actually good at, which is not the business side of it necessarily, but the very specific technical um, side of lingerie and lace. Yeah. Okay, so you're back in India. You started your own brand. You're getting exhausted from doing this you're like not really getting to design or do anything fun so you started exploring you were starting to listen to some podcasts of mine and thinking okay maybe freelance like where was your mind at like what sounded good about that or what sounded like that was a good match so this was literally the beginning of this year to be honest um when okay so beginning of 2022 20 2022 yeah okay and we're in july right now okay yes so around January 2022, um, this uh, person in Australia approached me wanting to set up a brand in India. And they, they were in the whole business space, but they didn't really have any knowledge about um, lingerie. So they wanted somebody, they wanted to invest um, and start a lingerie brand, and they wanted someone to come on board as a as a technical consultant. And uh, at that point, I was completely unprepared because I didn't really know, you know, when you go from applying to lots of jobs, to having your... I didn't even know this was a thing. Like, um, in my head, a consultant was somebody that worked with a company like Ernst & Young or KPMG, like one of those finance... Yeah, 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 I know. ...business consulting type places, you know? So, so it it caught me off guard, which is when I started, like, furiously, like, Googling stuff. And, of course, I did look up your your videos to, you know, how much do you have to be charged? How do you put this in a contract? How do you... Make sure you get paid. I didn't know any of this. Yeah. But the op- for me, I think the opportunity came first. I was completely unprepared. And then I found uh, a lot of your content. Okay. And then that first experience was not great because the person then started trying to negotiate after I'd already done lots of work. They tried to lowball after that, which, you know, again, I started doubting myself. I had, a, I had another instance where somebody was really nasty and they said something like, oh, you're overpricing your services. And I... I cross-checked this and I wasn't overpricing my services at all. But, you know, I think the more I started um, following your stuff and listening to your content, I realized that, first of all, you can do this for people in other countries, Mm -hmm. um, you know. And sometimes you don't realize how much you know till you actually have the opportunity to sort of, you know, implement that particular skill, like tech packs, for example. I love doing that. Yeah. I think like I was made to make like as much as you love Excel, I yeah. love tech back. I just love doing tech back. Yeah. So um you know, and the fact that it doesn't occur to me that that would be of value to somebody else because for me I can do it in my sleep. Yeah. But it is something that somebody with a non fashion background would need, like on the way to a factory. So yeah. um so I think, yeah, beginning of this year, that's when that opportunity happened. And I started listening to your podcast more frequently. I downloaded some of your guides. And then I think around May, I would say, is when I decided to, to sort of 
um, you know, sign up for fast because I already had three clients and I just wanted to find a better way to sort of um, market my services and package my services up as a as a lingerie design consultant. Yeah. Um, you know, so, um, yeah, so that is, and that really did help me a lot, especially sort of the community within, uh, you know, fast where, you know, you see other people going through the same thing. So if you start doubting yourself, you can always cross-check somebody <laughs> else's been through the same thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about this a little bit. So it's July 27th today, because this isn't going to air until like August or maybe even mm-hmm. early September. So it's July 27th. You just joined in May. Um, I remember you were on one of, I think it was probably the Q&A call in May, so like mm-hmm. two months ago, and mm-hmm. you were asking... Um, I am a lace designer. Is that too niche? And mm-hmm. we talked about it, and some of the other students on the call chimed in a little bit. And then you like came back to the next call like a month later, and you were like, I got a client, or I got another client, or I forget what happened, but like all of a sudden it was like, okay, no, it wasn't too niche. There are, because you, you had been... And I don't want to like take over the conversation here, but I remember very specifically, like you had worked in China for the manufacturing, like for the factory side, right? Mm-hmm. They were manufacturing the lace and then the lace was being sold to the brands. And so you were mm-hmm. like, what kind of opportunities might there be to mm-hmm. design lace if it's not actually for the lace manufacturer? Like are brands actually designing their own lace? So I want to like hear a little bit about what happened between that call where we were like, well, we think you could do it, it's worth pursuing, and where we are now? So actually after that call, I remember something you said to me was um, either you can do more research into lace or you could look at your niche being lingerie. And um, there are lots of other skills in lingerie that I am quite well versed in, like the pattern cutting or the making of the tech pack. Yeah. So I decided to start researching more about lace, I got in touch with some factories that make lace, some companies that produce lace. Because for lace, it's normally like a larger corporation that sort of makes it. It's right. not an individual designer. Right. But it is. I did start doing my research and networking on that side. So I got in touch with a company in Spain. I got in touch with a company. I, got, I found one other lace designer in the whole wide world who's yeah. freelancing. And she does embroidered lace, ah. which is different from, you know, knitted lace. But then I also, like, um, I saw one of your strategy sessions with another lingerie designer where, um, you, you know, you talked about how there are certain very specific technical skills which are of higher value, like the pattern cutting, like grading. Um, so I sort of just brushed up on those. I already sort of had a foundation, but I brushed up on those. So okay. I got a couple of um, clients who required those skills. Okay. And so I decided my niche would be lingerie. Still, I could figure the lace thing. And strangely enough, this this very morning, I got contacted by somebody who based, again, in the U.S., who wanted to design a custom lace for their brand. So I know you wanted me to, like, fill you in on this when something happened, but it literally just happened today. Like so, hours uh, ago, yeah. Like this morning. Yeah. I had another That's amazing. this morning. And this was because um, they wanted their logo to sort of be a motif in the lace and sort of incorporate it into that. So, um, yeah, so with Lace, it's definitely working with larger factories or at least collaborating with somebody that can actually adopt it for you. While with lingerie, 
so like what I do is a com- combination of the two. I sort of look at where the motif sits on the body. Like with, because with design, it's, you know, you have your surface design and you have your silhouette yeah. for, for most clothes. Um, now for lingerie, there's not much you can actually do with the shape. There is some stuff, but some stuff sort of works technically. So you can't really go crazy that other than maybe experimenting with the straps. So a lot of the innovation is in the in the surface um, textile, whether it's the actual technical uh, features the fabric has or it's the surface design. So uh, my job is actually sort of sort of looking at you know like you have placement print for for print designers where yeah. it sits on the body. Yep. So what I do is I sort of look at where the motif sits on the body, so that it looks flattering, so that it can be ergonomically produced, so there's less wastage. Mm-hmm. And then how to make that repeat. On, on on like a piece of lace that's about around I would say 23 centimeters wide yeah so just where does it sit on the body how expensive would it be to manufacture it because it is expensive to manufacture lace um, yeah I mean even machine made lace yeah. right like you need to be doing massive quantities yeah so it is a, unless you sort of do um, embroidered lace where you're embroidering it on the spot which right. is much know, lower quantities uh, more it's more expensive per piece but it's you can make lower quantities right, while right. with knitted lace you have to manufacture at least a thousand meters so it's only the bigger brands that yeah. would probably want to invest in in doing that you know um, yeah doing that okay so it sounds like most of your clients have approached you is that true yeah, and I i mean, I haven't actually, I'm still a little scared about like sending cold emails, but yeah. I did find something on Upwork, Yeah, which worked out really well. Oh, good. And I, yeah, and I had, a, and then there was one which was like a job interview, but I sort of turned it into a consulting thing because I didn't want to actually work a full-time job because now I actually want to freelance and work with a variety of people. So I sort of turned it into a, and, I, and she's also a startup, so she couldn't actually okay, pay what I need, like my hourly rate. Sure, so I yeah. said, you know, we can work something out where you pay me a retainer and I give you 20 hours a week. Okay. Uh, and she wants me to do everything. So all the fears I had about being pigeonholed, um, I'm facing the opposite where she sort of wants me to do everything from design to trend to, you know, but in the space of lingerie. I'm being firm with myself about sticking to the lingerie needs. Okay. So other than the Upwork client, are these other brands connecting with you just via LinkedIn? Um, yes, via LinkedIn. And the one I had today was actually a referral from another freelancer okay. um, who I would gotten in touch with. She, she was up on Fiverr, but she also designed, um, she also does lingerie. And she said, you know, I had a couple of people wanting me to do lace. And if you want, we can collaborate or I can, you know, refer them to you. So, um, which is another thing I really like about this whole space is that people aren't competitive like that because I think you can make your own skill set so unique. Yeah. You don't really have to be better than somebody. You can just be different. Yeah. Like you um, said, you talked to Lori, who is also a a lace lingerie designer, Sophia lingerie designer. Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah, I know two knit sweater designers inside of fast who have like become friends they like share resources Mm -hmm. and stuff it is so true that like there's enough space for everybody and everybody has like enough of like a unique offering and some might just be slightly different there's enough brands out there that it really just becomes this beautiful ecosystem i think um um 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and you know, for me, to be very honest, like, I've never actually been into fashion for the glamorous, fame yeah. side of it. I actually like being behind the scenes. Like, yeah. I'm a fashion nerd. I actually, like, one of the things I did not like about having my own brand was I had to model everything myself because... COVID and <laughs> I was just doing everything myself and I just didn't like that side of it. I sort of like being behind the scenes, sort of doing tech back, yeah. doing quality control, doing um, even design work. But, yeah, behind the know, scenes, so, yeah. Yeah. So what do you think it is about, like, talk a little, well, actually I want to talk about, this. I don't, I want to talk about the conversation you had that was like kind of a job interview that you turned into a consulting conversation because I've talked to a lot of freelancers who are like, you know, they they got in touch with a brand somehow or another and then they get on and it does feel like it turns into a a job interview and they're they kind of struggle like trying to turn that around so I want to touch on that so I I bring that up because I don't forget but I want to talk want to just go quickly back to these brands are finding you on LinkedIn like was it literally you just changed your profile name from fashion designer to lace lingerie designer so first, it was just changing it into lace and lingerie specialist. Okay. Um, and and you know, it, it took a in terms of my mindset, it took a lot for me to do that because I do tend to undervalue my own skills maybe sometimes. But mm-hmm. then I, there was this one big brand that reached out to me, and I was like, wow, if they found me, you know, that was that validating. I, that 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 was validating. I think, um, you know, and. Um, so I was like, you know, I can't do this. If they want me, like, why can't I just do this for myself? Like, what's stopping me? Because, you know, sometimes when you do apply for certain jobs and and in India, it's very competitive because there are so many talented people um, that it's very, very competitive, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so that was a bit disheartening when I came back, when I was sort of applying for jobs and the pay was like one-tenth of what my pay in China was. And, and it's because there are so many talented people and the you know create like there are lots of creative people and yeah. it is very competitive so I think for me the, the thing that I sort of led with my experience in China okay. I led because while I was in China one of my designs was chosen by Calvin Klein okay. so indirectly you know something that was in Calvin Klein's summer collection last year was designed by me now for me it doesn't matter if Calvin Klein gives me that credit but I know yeah. That I did that. I yeah, have yeah, the yeah. papers you know, to, to yeah. show that I did do that. Yeah. So I think that that helped. But, you know, to be honest, it, it, it's just about being confident and that and knowing your worth and what you bring to the table. Like, um, and I think with this client, I, she's a startup as well. So she's she sort of, you know, she's still working her job or whatever and she wants to start this. And I didn't even quote her the price in the beginning, but I did what she said. I sort of listened to what she needed. I listened to her first. And then I said, look, um, this is what I do. This is where I can help you. So I really pitched her first. I was like, this is how I can help you. And then really towards the end of the conversation when she came to price, I first asked her what her budget was. Mm-hmm. And she told me. And I said, look, um, then I told her what I charge per hour. And um, which is, I think, relatively low by U.S. standards, but it's quite high in India. Would you be willing so, to share that number? Yeah, it's on Upwork. So I charge $35 an hour. 20, 35? 35 35 yeah. Yeah, okay. Very 35. fair. Yeah, very fair. Um, and um, so she said, look, 
um, you know, if you're charging $35 per hour and we calculated how much it would be for me to work full time. Right, right. Uh, then she was like, okay, you know, I can't really afford that. And I said, how about you take me on as a consultant? Because you won't have to worry about things like, you know, because if you're an employer, you have to sort of worry about things like, pension or whatever All like other security yeah. and healthcare and insurance yeah so she I think she's also pretty new to this so I sort of grew up a contract and I sent it to her I you know grew up a freelance contact and then she was like okay let me you know figure this out so I, it was more like me guiding her and leading her into the conversation because she was relatively new but I was very transparent from the beginning yeah about this is what people pay me um you know and like internationally and for the other project I'd had in India that is what I would say yeah um that is what but you know so I'm very transparent I do lead with sort of asking them what they need sort of so that by the end of that conversation they really know that they want me yeah and uh you know uh, and I sort of tell them because if it's not a match it's not a match you have to yeah of, of course you know but it takes a while to get get to that mindset because when you're on the job application stage, you're just desperate to get that job, whatever it is. But I think over here, it's more like you sort of, you get to choose and you see if it's a good match. So I even told her, I said, look, I don't, I want this to work for you. I don't want you to lose money if you have a messy tech pack. Yeah. You know, this is why tech packs are important. Yeah. This is why... Um, and, you know, I don't want you to spend money excessively either. So I, I can guarantee you that if I give you four hours a day, this is the quality of work I'll deliver rather than just quantity and, you know. Yeah. So it, it is. It does, take, it does take a bit to sort of switch people to that mindset, especially in India, because it's not now freelancing is taking off more in this space, but not really been a thing, you know, pre-COVID. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so... The conversation going from like job interview to more like freelance consultant sounds like it really just came from you kind of taking the reins a little bit and starting to ask her more questions like, well, what do you need support with? Where are you at right now? Like what challenges are you facing? And then getting her to start talking and most people will just start talking, especially, you know, they're, they're thinking about this brand. They have this idea wherever they're at, like they're excited to talk about that. So you just kind of Mm -hmm. turn the tables to get them talking about that. Um, cool. So jumping back to that LinkedIn thing though, like, um, you, you said you changed it from fashion designer to lace and lingerie specialist. This big brand Mm -hmm. contacted you. It didn't work out for visa reasons. Um, but was that like really all you changed on your profile? And then you got like your description and like maybe some screenshot, like little portfolio screenshots or something. But like I didn't, I have, I didn't even put portfolios. Oh, okay. To be okay. Um, I just changed. So I think very unconsciously, I've like I think LinkedIn has very good SEO. Yeah. So you know that first client who approached me, he said, "When I type lingerie designer India, you are one of two names that comes up," and I was yeah. surprised by that because. Yeah. I guess not many people are niching down. People do tend to want to generalize they because do. of that fear factor, you know, that what if. But I just want everyone to know that I think it's better to niche down because I now have situations where somebody approached me wanting me to make a denim tech pack and I, I don't want to make a denim Like denim and lingerie are like pretty opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, or, or you know, um, or even people think, oh, but can you also do this? I'm sure it will be fine. And yeah. then I really have to think about it, you know. Yeah. 
So I definitely think it's worth it in terms of niching down for sure. Yeah. Um, but and and then okay, so after like about two three months of changing that that status on LinkedIn, I did I did opt for the paid version, but I don't think it's necessary. Like I actually got at least three people approaching me without before that doing. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and I've I've listened to podcasts outside of the fashion space, um, but just about like, SEO specifically on LinkedIn. Like I'm that big of a nerd, and it does have great SEO, but you do need to be really specific. If you have just fashion designer in there, nobody's gonna find you because everybody else has mm-hmm. fashion designer in there. Um, one of our other students told me that. Um, she put like clothe 3D and instantly was like starting to get people reaching out to her, right? Like just be really specific with what you're offering um, and don't be that generalist because everybody else is trying to be that generalist and they're not getting found. Yeah. yeah. I love that. And and it's frustrating because, you know, if you do look at jobs on Upwork, um, you, you would find more like print jobs or print design jobs. Yeah. You know. Yeah sleepwear jobs or whatever sometimes I am tempted because I do love working and I constantly okay another thing I did after um, doing the fast courses I spend one hour every single day on Upwork I'm going to move off it eventually because that 20% cut they take I know they take it's a lot yeah (laughs) but um, I do spend about um, an hour a day between LinkedIn and Upwork just sending out okay that is one thing that has been a game changer because for every, it took me at least 30 proposals before I got my first um, gig off Upwork. Okay. Okay. So that's definitely one other thing that I learned from, from you about, you know, just sending, you do have to send out, whether it's a cold email, whether it's, um, you know, and once you niche down, it is easier to do that and be specific about it. Yeah. And I like to look at it as like planting seeds, right? Like you can send some of that stuff yeah. out and it might not turn into anything right then, but it could turn into something in three, six, 12 months from there. Um, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like that you've yeah. just like built the, the that one into I, like part of your routine. Yeah, it's just something. Now I'm like sort of addicted to doing it. Like I can't, you know, I have to do it even if I'm on holiday. Like I'm on holiday right now. Yeah. I'm still doing that and I'm yeah. still working and answering emails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so talk a little bit about, like, what you said you didn't have anything on LinkedIn for your portfolio. You didn't add any screenshots. Like, what do you have for a portfolio? I literally do what you said in terms of I have, like, a little PDF. Um, and I've made, like, actually, first I had one big PDF with all my work. But then a lot of my, like, when I worked in China... A lot of the projects were very different. There was something for a sportswear brand. There was something for a lingerie brand. There was something for Victoria's Secret. There was something for Calvin Klein. So putting it all together in one portfolio just didn't make sense because it would look very inconsistent. Yeah. So I, I have these like little mini nugget portfolios of like three to four pages. Okay. So I have one, which is actually still from my final year in college, which is showing my pattern cutting skills. Okay. Then I have one which shows my illustrations because illustrating is something I really would want to get lingerie illustration or lace illustration is something I really would which I'd done with Concept Paris um, when they had come to China to work with the company I was with so we worked very closely they're a trend forecasting company and the lady that owns it is 
amazing. Yeah. He was you know, really great to work with. So um, I did a sort of illustration. So I, I just call out what works. So I have one for like lingerie illustration. I have one for um, deck packs now. I have one for um, pattern cutting. And so it's all still in the vein of lingerie, but I haven't niched down so much that it's, I'm only doing tech packs. Right. So far, I've only done tech packs and I've done some designs. But within the space of lingerie, I have, you know, a five-page one for, which shows off my illustration skills or my mood board skills or, you know, my presentation skills. I have mm-hmm. one for um, yeah, technical stuff and one for pattern cutting. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And then you just share whichever one makes the most sense. Then I share the one that's relevant because, yeah. like, sometimes they may not um, meet that. Like, for example, I had somebody who approached me for a tech pack, and though I usually wanted to include my Calvin Klein one because that's the gem of my collection of yeah. portfolio stuff, I didn't because it wasn't relevant. It was more design, and she wanted, you know, that was more of a lace design, and she wanted, like, a latex sort of BDSM type concept. They're very different. Yeah, very different. Something as it is, um, I didn't send her that. I just sent her another lingerie deck back. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right, so very simple in the portfolio, just a few different PDFs to like make sure whatever you're going to be showing to the client is relevant for them. Um, Mm -hmm. Like what about your pricing? How did you come up with that number and how do you feel like that's going? You know, to be very honest, that's still a work in progress because <laughs> I did I just did a tech pack project where I feel like I really underpriced it uh, because I didn't charge hourly. I set a fixed rate, and okay. I mean I enjoyed doing it, but I feel like I could have charged more. So I for pricing, what I did was first I I what I was being paid in China was I mean by by international standards by China standards great because the cost of living there is low mm-hmm. and it was more than enough for me to you know live independently and save and have a nice apartment and everything. India standards are very low. They like the salaries like what like a designer would get maybe paid starting is about say, the equivalent of maybe hundred and eighty dollars a month to the maximum would be five hundred dollars. That you was know. your Which that, in India is, that was your China salary. No, that wasn't. That was like that's what the average salary for a designer in India is if they're working for someone else. Okay, full time designer in yeah. India, you're looking at hundred and eighty to five hundred dollars per month. Yeah. For full time. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Time. Okay. Um so I think with my what I did was um the company in the US that approached me, uh the figure that they quoted, I sort of took that as what I was worth because if they were willing to pay me back yeah uh, that was on the higher end so it did scare off a couple of Indian clients I had so I do need to temper it based on who the client is but on average I settled at around $35 an hour because I also looked at Upwork and looked at what people were charging there and since I've only got maybe two projects via Upwork I will raise it at some point but I do want to get more experience under my belt for things like tech packs and, um, you know, uh, more like lingerie pattern cutting stuff. And then yeah. probably when I feel comfortable, I will raise it a little. <laughs> okay. So you have a client in India, though, do you not? Yes. Are you making $35 an hour from them? Because no. in India, that's 
but I, what I'm doing is I'm getting a retainer, which is say the equivalent. I don't know the conversion, but I'm getting like um, a monthly retainer from her. So that is like a stable source of income, which is great. And I spend four hours a day doing that, four yeah. hours a day, five days a week, and then. I don't want to do it in India because people's space is opening up in India and I want to, you know, learn more about the Indian market and stuff. But at the same time, I also, I, I've kept the flexibility where I have this one consistent consultancy sort of gig, hopefully for the next year. And then um, I sort of, I'm trying to get more stuff in other parts of the world, like the US. So I've had two clients from the US already. And one might again turn into a longer term thing. So okay. I don't know. So I, I would like to keep maybe three at a time, like one consistent one and maybe two shorter projects. So you diversify in terms Yeah, of totally. I love this though, because, um, I mean, a lot of people think like, well, if I live in India, how can I charge U.S. rates? Like the U.S. company is going to be like, no, I want the, you know, $3, $2 an hour India rate, right? I mean, if a full if a designer is working full time making... 200 to 500 bucks a month you know Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have this perception in their head that like well then the U.S. brand just wants cheap inexpensive labor right but you are and we have multiple client multiple students from India I use India just Mm because I just always use the example that comes up but um and that's where you live and stuff but um we have multiple students in India that are charging like for India wages, like making a very fair rate, like earning $35 an hour, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. A very comfortable yeah. US rate. So, yeah. um, and I like how you kind of thought about that. You looked at a bunch of different scenarios. You looked at like, okay, well, what is this other job from the US paying, et cetera? What did you make in China? Which I know you said was a little bit low, depending on where what standards for China, it was fine. Um, no, for China, it was actually great. It was double of, say, what like it was like an expat salary in a way it was double of what like well, I can't quite disclose the exact amount totally fair yeah, yeah. About that. But, but it was um, very good it was it, let's say it was higher than India but say lower than than the U- US or the UK sure sure so I don't know what what like I think rent is of course much higher in places like New York but I know rent in London is really high so yeah. e- even if as a designer you made something like um you know like, even if you made double of the minimum wage or whatever, even if you made a thousand pounds a month, half of it would just go on rent. Yeah. So, the, in India, the great thing is it's not that expensive to live. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I sort of live um, live at home with my mom. Right? Mm-hmm. So, that's quite normal in India to do that, even, yeah. you know. Um, so, I think that sort of works out as well. But, um, yeah, it is it is a mindset thing, to be honest, because I've had lots of people in India tell me that, oh, you overcharge. But then I get back with, but I'm the only person that can give you this. So yeah. And you're getting paying work. So, you know. Yeah, it was hard. It was really, in the beginning, there, there were a few people were like, oh, you're overcharging or whatever. But then that's when I actually started looking at international clients. Okay. And, looking. and then that's where you started getting some good traction. Yeah. Yeah, and then I got something good in India as well. So I yeah, India is, um, which you compromise the price on, but it's a good bait. Like you said, it's a good. But it's foundation. a consistent. It's a consistent bait. Yeah, 
I think anytime too, like no matter where the client's located, no matter what their budget is, if they're giving you like a solid 20 hours a week or even 10 hours, like if it's consistent retainer based ongoing, you adjust that price accordingly, right? Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so something you said a couple times and then have kind of jumped around on is about like mindset and confidence, right? So you said, I, you know, you had your three years working at the factory in China or the manufacturer in China. Um, then you made a comment. You were kind of like, I don't know. Do I really know that much? But then you made a comment that like, well, once I started doing things, I realized I knew more than I actually thought. But then you still keep dropping comments of like, well, once I have the confidence or once I like know a little bit more, I mean, <laughs> talk to us a little bit about like, just because this is whether people want to talk, say it or not. So, so many people are like, well, I just need the strategy and I need the pitch template and I need the thing and I need the thing and I need the tool. And those are really helpful. But for 99% of us, 99% of it is like the yes, mental blocks absolutely. that we have in our head. Yes. So talk a little bit about like where you're at with that and and maybe the challenges you're still having having or some things that have helped like where you at okay okay so i am uh, the poster child for imposter syndrome <laughs> that's my problem so and my my trajectory in fashion has also been quite volatile as in you know i got into lcf um and i i i, lo I did learn a lot there because uh, my course leader specifically was somebody who had worked in industry. She used to work with Victoria's Secret, so she was very practical. Okay. It wasn't. It wasn't a very avant-garde type fashion that you know, like well, a lot of it. Is, a lot of schools can be that. Yeah. Yeah. So my course specifically, like LCF Women's Wear, definitely more avant-garde. But okay. um, my course leader was very sensible, and we always had to prove how we would sell what we made. Mm. She was very much marketing focused, so that. I'm not going to deny that that helped. Mm -hmm. And having, um, I think, for me, it was just taking that leap of faith and going to China, which now that I look back, was quite a scary thing to do because totally. I did not know the language. Yeah. I had to learn Mandarin over there. It was it was difficult, but I loved the job because the difference between China and, say, other countries in the fashion industry is the fashion industry there wasn't toxic. It was a very corporatized office-like environment. It cool. had all the benefits of a corporate job and it was a very professional environment. I remember my boss, I mean, he was fantastic. Both my bosses were. And he was very apologetically asked me to make coffee because he didn't know how to use the machine. And in my head, I'm like, I was mentally prepared to be treated badly because that is what happens in lots of internships, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. I guess I was really lucky in this particular China example. It was difficult. Living there was hard. Learning the language, dealing with the food, everything was different. But I think the work environment there was was really great for me, maybe. So that really boosted my confidence. But then coming back to India after COVID and finding it almost impossible to get a job, um, you know, that, that would pay me even half of what I made in China. Because I, I guess in China, they value creativity because... Um, they're very good at making really good products and they're very good at recognizing talent in other people and learning from them. So I think they valued somebody that thought outside the box. While in India, everyone's creative and, and the way of, you know, you have 
great textile, you have great fabric, you know, it's part of the culture and everything. And in India, the problem is, it's not a problem, but people are only willing to pay for bridal wear because India is all about wedding. Mm. And it's about what shows. It's that conspicuous consumption of, I will pay money for it if, it's, if I can show it, right? So lingerie, I mean, now the mindset is changing, but people aren't really willing to spend that much on lingerie and um, lingerie is expensive to manufacture. So I really struggled with that. So I was making nightwear and even then I was barely making enough of a profit and I wanted to pay the ta- my tailor a fair wage. So I literally gave him what I was making myself. This is when you had your own and, brand. Yeah. Okay. So I think that really left me very disheartened because Having your own brand, you don't like, I think Sophia mentioned it as well. You don't really make any money yourself for the longest time. And I was still doing it like the unit economics of it worked out because I just took some of my savings. I bought some desktop fabric and I made it to order. So I wasn't spending money on a factory and I didn't have, you know, like stock lying around. I literally made it to order because I didn't want to, I wanted to be sustainable about it as well. But that just got stressful and I wasn't making enough to support myself. Whatever I made, I just put back in. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a failure, but it just, I was like, what's the point? Like, I'm just like driving myself insane and I'm not even making money. Yeah. It's very frustrating. Yeah. So that's when my confidence sort of plummeted. And then I, I don't really like Instagram. <laughs> and, you know, just having to promote it on Instagram and, oh, how is it looking? I was starving myself so I could model my own stuff. And I was just really unhappy. And oh, terrible. I didn't even know, I didn't even know that, you know, freelancing was an option because no one ever talked about it till you came along. Yeah. So it was always seen as this thing that people do before they can get an actual job. And yeah. it really isn't. It's just so much, you know, you, you have the independence of having your own thing, but the overhead cost isn't the same as you're running a business. You know, you're not, there's barely any overhead costs unless you sort of count um, stuff like software or whatever. Yeah. So you're selling a service, not a, not, not a product. And yeah. I think I'm just better geared towards that. Yeah. Okay, so China boosted your confidence. Your own brand, it kind of declined. And then, like, what happened when it came to, like, working with your first freelance client? Like, how did you feel about that? And at what point did did that moment happen where you were like, once I started doing the thing, I realized I knew more than I thought? So my first encounter was horrible because it was this girl who um, wanted a tech pack and she didn't want to pay that much. And she pretty much wanted me to design stuff and make the tech pack. And I was literally charging $25 an hour. And um, or she was like, oh, you should check market rates. People in India don't charge that much. People with even more experience than you don't charge that. I said, look, I've been very Where was she located? She was based in India. She was also in India, okay. And, yeah, and I was like, look, to be very honest, I've been very honest about my rates. This is what I charge people. And uh, it's fine if you can't afford it. That's okay. But, you know, you don't get to decide my work. I think that's when I got angry. Mm. And... uh, the second client, I made sure that he paid me a quarter of the money in advance. And then I would give him a quarter of the work. And then, he'd pay. like, it was a quarterly. But then, you know, after that first quarter came in, he saw the stuff, he liked it. But he wasn't, he didn't, I think he didn't know what he wanted. He was very vague. So you do need to find a client that knows what they want and they say yes or no. 
So then he then tried to sort of haggle it down and I hadn't actually put a contract in place so that's what everything on email would be, you know. But I do think there is some value in putting together a basic contract template. Mm-hmm. Right? So mm-hmm. you know, otherwise, you know, I was meandering. And then after the second one I decided to take your course. Um because I just I by that time I had spoken to Laurie and I'd spoken to Sophia and I was like, you know, I can't do this brand or at least I need to put it on pause for a bit because it's making me miserable. And I just took the call to do sort of do fast and immediately sort of um as soon as I I mean I sent out maybe I sent out proposals for about a month and then something came through and then more than actually actively sending out stuff, I now knew how to deal with it when people approached me. Mm. You know, I, I sort of learned how to package my services in a more professional manner. I learned how to listen to the client and understand what they wanted. Mm-hmm. It's always about them. Mm-hmm. And so I can swoop in and be this person that solves their problems. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think that was the most important sort of listen to them rather than going me, me, me. I, 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 I can do this. I can do that. Yeah. I made it all about them. Yeah. So... Okay, so it sounds like you had, like you said, you had a couple rough experiences with those first clients. You decided to enroll in fast. I know you said the community was really helpful in terms of like helping you feel like, yeah, it's a pretty amazing group of people. Like I, I'm not active in the community. It's very much a student community, but I, I get in there like once every few months and I just poke around and look at what's going on. And it's some, I like get chills it's so cool some of the stuff that's happening in there um so you know I guess a little bit of it was just like getting out there and like having those couple projects that didn't go great which is just part of being a freelancer like you're gonna go through that right it's a rite of passage all of this stuff is Uh and then getting some support from other people through the fast community etc it's just has kind of naturally built um, are you feeling mm-hmm. like pretty comfortable with where you're at? I think, yeah, definitely. I'm feeling, and you know, now the best part about being a freelancer is even if something doesn't work out, I now have a system where I just get back to it the next day, yeah. send out 10 more proposals and it's a numbers game to be honest. It is know? totally a numbers game. And now game. I'm sort of very, I'm very actively, and like you said, sometimes it's just sowing the seeds. Like the opportunity I got today, it was just another freelancer I connected with. We had a great conversation. We talked about potentially collaborating. And she just referenced this guy to me. And it, it was just really nice of her to do that. Yeah. And, you know. And that's how your business um, is just grows on autopilot. So I think now I'm probably getting a better idea of what exactly my job is, which is something you know like I sort of see myself as a lingerie consultant you know so yeah it's amazing so much growth you've had I mean in the last what sounds like like six months a tremendous amount I'm so excited for you Ashika your future is huge (laughs) thank you I mean it's huge where you're at right now but it's just I know it's so much bigger than this too I mean, thank you so much for giving us the confidence to actually demand their, like, prices as well. I just, yeah. just never occurred to me. Like, I just, I was always told, if you do fashion, if you love it, but you're not going to get paid that much. And I was okay with that till I wasn't. And, yeah. you know, now I think, it's, and the more people do that, I think 
the better it will make the industry. You know, it really will. Push back. For sure. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, well, congrats on having the assertiveness to actually do that. Because it's one thing to like listen to me tell you to do that, but then to actually do it and hold your ground it can be a little tough. Like you said, some clients beat you down and that can feel hard. That can like push you into like a, a you know, yeah. a downward fall and you're just like, oh, okay, I guess I just got to lower my rates. I tell people all the time, that's fine. If they want it for $10 or $5 an hour or 25 or whatever, if you're 35 or if you're 55, whatever your number is, that's fine if they want it for that. They're just not your client. You're just not their freelancer. Exactly. And right? that's fine. And that's, that's fine. fine. Not everybody's your client. Um, very cool. I would love to know, like, could you just walk us through the, a day in the life of a fashion <laughs> freelancer such as yourself? What's a day, um, your average day look like? My average day. So I actually work best really early in the morning. So okay. if I have, like, an ongoing project, I get up at maybe 6 or 7. Okay. And I get some of that work done before, you know, everyone else is up. Um, if I don't have a project, I sort of maybe in the morning, nine to 10, just send out a, a proposal. Okay. And another thing I like to do is I do constantly like to upskill. And that's why I like freelancing because there's always so much more to learn. So yeah. I do once in a while, I will sort of, you know, try to learn a new skill. Like I'm trying to learn more about say, print design now because a lot of it, there's a lot of stuff in common with, you know, lace design or, um, so, yeah, my morning is normally sending out emails. If I have a project, I do get up early and I like to get that done. So I wrap up my day by like 4.35. Yeah. And um, if it's like a really intense project, I do. Sometimes I just enjoy the work so much I lose track of time and I yeah. do work late. Yeah. But, I mean, I love what I do. So That's your choice. It makes me happy. and uh, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. But I do like that I can, you know, choose blocks of time when I work and blocks of time when I you know, step out to get inspiration or, you know, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, all right. I, well, first of all, where can everybody connect with you online? So I am sort of going to make a separate Instagram for work. But for now, people can find me at my current handle, which is Decadent Brat. Okay. That's the name of, what's the name of my brand. Uh, but yeah, it's my Insta handle, Decadent Brat. Okay. Um, and um, LinkedIn would actually be the best place to find me because I'm quite active on there. Okay. We will link to both of those in the show notes so um, you don't have to worry about trying to spell the handle or anything like that yeah. on LinkedIn. Um, cool. And then I would love to wrap up by asking you the question I ask everybody at the end of the show, and that is, what is one thing people never ask you about being a fashion freelancer that you wish they would? I think the fact that um, it's possible and it's a very fulfilling um, choice yeah. and there is a happy medium between working for somebody else and running your own brand which would be running um, your services as, as a freelancer yeah. so I think that, that's something I wish I knew at least yeah and I don't yeah it's it's a little bit of a conundrum I'm like I'm not sure how to get the word out there more because it is so possible but there's really nobody else talking about it um 
And I think the fact that this space is less cutthroat and competitive, because like I said earlier, it's all about how unique you can make your skills, mm-hmm. which in this job market is the best thing you can do because, you know, don't be better, just be different, I yeah. think. Yeah. So, it's very true. It's very true. Ashika, this was amazing to chat with you. I'm so excited we got the opportunity to connect. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story um, and journey with us. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much for joining us, Ashika. This conversation was really, really awesome. I really appreciate you sharing so transparently your journey to becoming a kick-ass successful fashion freelancer. Um, Thank you to those people on my team behind the scenes who helped make this show possible. Brittany, Daniel, Tara, my husband, Mark, who does the editing and tech. And is a lot of moving pieces and parts to a podcast. It would not be possible without all of us behind the scenes. So thank you. And again, thank you to you for listening to you for listening. Um, If you're curious to learn more about how you can kick ass in your freelance career, like Ashika, um, Get on the waitlist for Freelance Accelerator. It only opens a couple times a year. Head on over to soheidi.com slash fast, F-A-S-T. We'll link that up in the show notes and get yourself on the waitlist. In the meantime, you can also check out all my free resources at soheidi.com slash freelance. And yeah, make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. Um, I'm also, this is random, but I just remembered, I always forget to say, I'm moderately active on Instagram. So uh, that's at soheidi. So head on over there and say hi. If you're enjoying the show, let me know. Um, feedback, ideas, inspiration, always welcome. I love hearing from you. So drop me a message in the DMs and yeah, that's it. I hope you're having an awesome day, whatever it is you are doing. Keep listening and I'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye.